0: Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Wednesday, that said, Hey, you're preaching, let's do this thing. And I was like, Cool, let's do it. So here I am. You weren't expecting me, maybe, but that's okay. I'm Danny. I'm on staff here, and I've been here for, gosh, years and years and years. It feels like forever. But one thing I love about our body is that as things change and as things develop, and there's still a sense of movement here. There's still a sense of God doing something here. And so as I pray here again, here in a second, I want us to pray in light of that this morning specifically, with maybe the rain and everything going on, it kind of has, there's a heaviness to it. And I want us to kind of weed through that and try to see truth. And maybe together we can do that as I hopefully present this well What the Lord has shown me this week. But uh, Lord, we come to you in a full acknowledgement that you are greater than anything we can think, do, imagine, feel. And so, Lord, we lay ourselves down. We put ourselves on the altar in front of you, and do with us what you will, Lord. We are living sacrifices for your glory and your glory alone and your name. Lord, may you be lifted up. May we see you today. May we experience the teaching of your spirit and how the spirit moves in us. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in Bible college, a number of years ago, I worked at a large church with a famous pastor, okay? This pastor was dynamic and influential. He, his sermons in particular were, were refreshing and challenging, and people kind of started coming like in droves, right? You see the church growing like crazy, exponential, and so as we were watching this happen, and I was kind of breaking away one time at a staff retreat, and I kind of broke away and talked to him, and I just asked him like, hey, what's the Lord teaching you? Like, what's going on? And He looked at me and he's like, man, he's like, I just don't understand how people are comfortable with fame. And I remember thinking like, what do you mean by that? Like he's, he's like expressing to me something and the Lord's using him. It's clear. He's talking about Jesus, but he said, I'm super uncomfortable with the amount of fame that people are showing me. And so I go, well, explain it to me. And he goes, well, people will come to the church once or twice and then they'll go and they'll be all about how great this church is. Oh, it's the best church ever, man. You got to come and hear this dude preach. He's insane. He'll totally challenge you. He'll he'll make you laugh. He'll do all these things that you'll really like. And this pastor was like, man, I just, I don't like that at all. And so uh, he even had a time where some seminary students, and this is hilarious to me, but some seminary students came in and wanted to interview him. And so they asked him like, what's the secret to the growth of your church? And he looked at him and he's like, I don't know. Like, why would I know? I don't grow the church. And literally, they, they probably walked away, and I don't know what the exact final article was, but they probably walked away and said, humility, guys, that's the key to a big church. And I remember thinking to myself, like, gosh, this is uncomfortable, right? Like, what are we talking about? Who are we talking about? Are we talking about somebody famous where we can flock to a movement, or are we talking about something totally different? And today, as we talk about John the Baptist, as we introduce to the story this person who had a massive ministry, we got to understand something. And this pastor even said something in this that I will never forget. He said that he was afraid that if Jesus planted a church in his town, this pastor was afraid that the the pastor's church would be bigger than Jesus' church. And we're thinking, like, what does that even mean? It doesn't make much sense. But this pastor wanted to point people to Jesus, and he even told, like, he consistently said this. He said, you know what makes a good message if the person's talking about Jesus? You know what makes a good message? A good listener. If they're talking about Jesus, a good message is because of the good listener. And I was like, oh, you're right. But you're so funny, man. Gosh, you're so good at this, though. Like, like when I hear you, you're so good at it. I just want to listen more. And, uh, and he's like, then you're hearing me wrong. And so as we talk about John the Baptist, as we look at this passage in John 1, there really are only two main points today that I think come out of this. And it's one, that John was not the guy that the people around him were hoping he would be. His example is that the best we can ever be as human beings is a voice that points to Jesus. Two, that Jesus is the guy. And he's the guy humanity's been hoping for. He is the one that is the source of all our hope. So as I read this passage here in a second, um, keep that in mind. Two things. John, massive ministry, huge. He's not the guy. He consistently tells us this. And two, Jesus is the guy. John 1, 19 to to 34, excuse me. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. So they said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now the next day, this is verse 29, Jesus coming, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, are you you see these people come to john he's got this huge ministry now we find out that all of jerusalem and judea is coming out to him okay it's about 18 miles away 20 miles away from jerusalem so it's it's about a four hour or five hour walk for people to get to john and these people are coming in droves right and these the jewish leaders of the time they're sending somebody out to him and they're like man who in the world are you What are you about? How are you getting all these people to come to you right now? John knows what they're really asking. See, all of us, every human being is looking for some sort of a savior from something. The Jews are no different. The Jews are looking for a savior. They want the Messiah to come. If the Messiah comes, he restores Israel. It's going to be awesome. So they're going, who are you, man? And what they're really asking is, are you the dude? Are you the guy? Is it you? Are you going to be the guy? In verse 20, John does something really interesting. And it's hard to hear this in English, but I'll try to unpack it a little bit. He says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, this sounds a little tepid, a little like redundant in English. In his language, John is angry. This literally triggers John. John is triggered by the question, are you the guy? Why? Because John knows it's blasphemy. And in his heart, when somebody looks at him and, say, and thinks, even thinks that he could be the guy, he goes, no, man, I'm not the guy. Like, you're asking me something, and I can't be what you want me to be. They want their hope boosted, and John instead squashes it in an angry way. And I, I'm telling you, when you see how it is that John continues to answer these questions, you'll realize These questioners were undeterred. It is the hope of man to try to find hope. You're clinging and seeking hope, hope, hope. Where is it going to come from? Who's it going to come from? Who's the person I can look to? Who, who, who? And John, again, looks at these questions that they're asking him. They ask him, okay, okay. Well, what then? Are you Elijah? That doesn't mean much to us, but he said, I'm not. Okay, okay are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, asking him if he's Elijah, to the Jews, there was this this prophecy in Malachi 4, okay, where it says that before the great Day of the Lord, and I'll just read it to you. So, Behold, I will send Elijah. This is Malachi 4 5 and 6. I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with an utter destruction. This is a frightening prophecy that one that marks the Jews' desire. So this is a precursor to the coming of the Lord. So they're saying, okay, so if you're not the Messiah, John, Are you the guy who's bringing about the end? No. No, I'm not. Are you the prophet then? Are you like the prophet who comes and is finally going to usher in a new era in Israel? I'm not. See, what we're seeing here is something really interesting. People, and you and me are included in this, we try to find hope anywhere we can. We look for someone who will do the bidding that we think needs to be done. We look for someone who will finally do what we want to be done. One of the things that John explains in that is that there will always be, always be, somebody whose movement seems large enough to do it. Guard your hope. Guard your hope. Because what you hope in is where you will be directed. And John is offended by their questions that seemingly for him are actually kind of compliments. He can't be what they want him to be. You will never find in a person what you want fully. So they keep questioning him. (laughs) I don't know why they keep doing it, but they do. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer. And he says to them, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now the questioners get more desperate with their language, and John finally obliges. And what he says is a quote, and a very one in the entirety. It's an important one in the entirety of the book of John. What he's confessing is that Jesus is God, and what that means to this time and place is fascinating because John in this says, I'm Isaiah, I'm ushering in the new era of Israel. The thing you want to happen is gonna happen, but it's not gonna happen the way you want it. I am coming to be the preparer to set up the freeway so the Lord can just ride on through in to do what he is meant to do. Now, this probably raised the blood pressure of the people listening because when you say God's coming, God is coming. There is a sense of sobriety in it. Now, as the anticipation builds in those people, John then brings some more clarity in verse 25 and 24 and 25. He says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, we're talking about the questioners. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Legitimate question. Why are you doing all this stuff out in the middle of nowhere if you're not the prophet? If you're not Elijah and you're not the Christ. And John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He freaks them out. Why? Because he just said, I'm the one who's coming before the Lord comes and the Lord is here. That's a scary proposition. Because if I said to you right now, right, this is not going to hit you the way it hit them because you got to understand their mindset. But if I tell you the Lord is here, Most of you don't feel trepidation. Maybe you should. Maybe that should sober you up for a second. Right now, the Lord is here in your midst. You came to church, or you came to be a part of the church, however you want to look at it. But wake up. Every day, Jesus said to those who are his, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is here now. And whatever it is that you anticipate, he is here now. And John freaks them out with that statement. Among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now John says it again. My ministry is remarkable. It's incredible. All these people are coming to see me. In fact, the people regard him as a prophet overall in the entire land. And he's baptizing people. It's a cleansing ritual. It's like repentance. They're coming and they're they're saying, God, I'm sorry. Like, I want to be clean. I want to be righteous. Now, again, The hope of Israel was that they would be righteous before the Lord, that they had a holiness like the God they worshipped. Their hope was in that holiness. And you'll see in a second what John communicates to them is that, yes, you can come and be cleansed with water, but water is not what you need to be cleansed with. It's a symbolic act. And the person who comes after me is going to cleanse people from the inside out, not from the outside in. And that is going to be a huge amount of hope to the people who are questioning him. And John is an example to every believer who desires to serve God. It's not about me. You guys keep asking me questions. It's not about me. I'm going to point you to the person it's about, but wait a second. It's not about me. It's not about me. Now, it could be that this humility is what drives Jesus later in Matthew 20, 16, to say that John was the greatest among all born of women. And even then. He is the least in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because John's example of not even being worthy to stoop down and untie the sandal of the person coming after him, the servant who was the least in the household, was the servant who would take off the shoes of the master and wash his feet. And John was saying, "I'm not even worthy of being the least servant in this guy's next household. In this this next guy's household, I'm not worthy of it." That is the heart posture that John carries, that Jesus carries, and all those who desire to serve God carry. Now, this is where it pivots. In John 1, 29, he says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John's huge ministry, this is, again, factor this in. They're coming out. They want to be cleansed. They want to be free from their sin. And John says, behold, There is one here who takes away the sins of the world. John was cleansing the sins of the people in Judea and Jerusalem. Jesus comes, and he's going to cleanse the sins of the whole wide world. Verse 30 and 31, this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, calling Jesus infinite isn't amazing to us, but he is infinite. And when we look at how finite John is and how much they hoped that John would be the guy, and then they realize Jesus is infinite, he's God, and he takes away the sins of the world to a Jewish person, that's like you're literally giving them everything they hope. But what's interesting is they don't see it the way that they need to see it. And this is why John continues to challenge the questioners of him, is because they're trying to ask these questions. They're trying to get the big ministry. They're trying to look at who's got the biggest reach. That person's who I need to listen to. Who's the person who can speak to me? Who's the person who can make me feel like they have answers? Who's the person that can make me feel like this thing is gonna change? Who is that? Who is that? I'm looking for the person who will change things. Now let's get real practical. In your life, you have a series of things that you desire to see. You have things you want. Whether it be political, relational, in your work, in your school, whatever it is all those desires in your heart. Where are you looking for hope? Because where your hope is, is what will be your largest influence. Where are you finding answers that you like? I will tell you this. One interesting thing that I've seen recently with many of my brothers and sisters is this. We try to fit Jesus into a human institution. We try to take a human institution and say Jesus would adhere to this. I'm gonna tell you straight up right now and I hope in confidence that you hear me on this. If Jesus fits, if your Jesus fits well into a human institution, you probably don't worship Jesus. If your Jesus fits nice and tight inside of everything that you think and believe as a human and, and, and adhere to as a part of a human institution, then you likely have an idol. What's interesting is that John says in this next section that he didn't even really know him, he didn't even really get what he was saying. But he knows that Jesus is the one. He knows that Jesus is the guy. John bore witness and he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, Jerry, again, I did not know him, but this voice, this one tells me what's going on. John hearing from the Lord, the last great Old Testament prophet, John, hearing from the Lord and then communicating to the people, this large crowd of people and these people who are questioning him, and these people who are coming to him in hope that there would be some sort of a cleansing for themselves. They were they were feeling something that they needed they needed their sins washed away they needed to feel right they needed to feel good they needed they wanted that again and and john says to them look you keep looking for someone 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 and i'm telling you he's here and he's going to do it but look to him stop looking to these human institutions the answer john gives very simply could have been jesus 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 what's your question Oh, it's Jesus. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. I believe it's Jesus. Is Jesus preeminent for you? Because look, the deal is, is we're a part of the church. The church worships Jesus. We worship Jesus. Jesus. And if that feels uncomfortable for you, that's okay. Feel it. Learn it. John the Baptist learns it. Right? He confesses it because the Lord tells him before he ever really learns it. But I will say this. Look to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Hope in Jesus. Be desperate for Jesus. Stop Fighting so much about things that are human and earthly and fight to get to Jesus. I'm thinking of all the people in the New Testament who did whatever they could to get to Jesus, right? You've got that paraplegic man. He comes in, his friends literally tear up the roof and lower him to Jesus. That's you and me. We need him. You don't need what you think you need, you need Jesus. That's the entirety of this book, that no matter who or what or how or what hope you see that it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is who we look to, that we finally realize we see the guy. He's the one. He's the guy. And as we see it, we see Jesus this way. In Colossians 1, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, by a river, and a man with a very large ministry is there. This man has great influence. And yet the Jesus who stands in that crowd is preeminent over everything. There's a couple of ways that we look at this. And there's a couple of ways that this should impact us. The preeminence of Jesus and John's declaration here is the preeminence of Jesus that no matter how much good you think you want to do, no matter how much in the world that you can see hope in a human institution, that it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I would have you repeat it except I'm pretty sure you would pass out in the mask. The truth of the matter is this. We as people We need this. We as the church come back to the preeminence of Jesus. Come back to putting Jesus above all things. Come back to putting Jesus as the head of anything and everything in this world. And don't let yourself be distracted. Wars will come. Pandemics will come. Elections will come for you. The answer is always Jesus, 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 Jesus. There are really two main ways that we get out of sorts in this. Okay, When we try to add something to Jesus or fit Jesus into something or when we look at anything, and we look to something something anything when we look to something and not Jesus to answer the deepest questions of our heart so adding something to Jesus i have some questions for you to ask yourself and 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 honestly answer these questions on your own and before the lord in your own heart you need to answer a couple of these do i flock To a movement, but end up running from true lasting change. Do I try to add Jesus into my list of things I love? When Jesus said simply, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Do I like Jesus, but don't really want to be like Jesus? See, the problem is we as people are prone to holding on to our ands. Jesus and nationalism. Jesus and acceptance from all people. Jesus and money. Jesus and progress. Jesus and my way. But this is oil and water. Either Jesus is your source of life or he is not. And for those whom God has revealed it, Jesus is that source. He is our everything. And when we sing songs with his name in it, we feel it in our gut and we just want to sing louder. Now that's just an affection, but the truth is is that our life shows that Jesus is preeminent. That we are not and nothing can be set aside. Nothing can be set beside him. When it comes to who rules you, Jesus will not split his kingdom. He will either rule you now as king or you will see his authority later as judge. It is oil and water to fit Jesus into anything man-made or to try to add anything man-made to Jesus. Two, Jesus is the guy. Whatever your hope is, Jesus is preeminent over all things. Everything is under Him. So when I first learned that I was going to teach this message, I kind of went home, and uh, I kind of just read it, and then write down some quick, wrote down some quick thoughts. And um, it's kind of a poem-like thing. It's not a poem because it doesn't have any poem-like characteristics but it's kind of in stanzas, so I don't know if that just makes me really weird or what, but this is kind of where my heart went, and this is what I needed to remind my own heart. This is kind of my journal, okay? Um, And I want to kind of wrap up in this vein, but um, whatever thing you think you will accomplish in the world, you're not the guy. Whomever or whatever you see that you think will prevent problems in the world, they aren't the guy. Donald Trump, not the guy. Joe Biden, not the guy. You, not the guy. You're mad because things aren't the way they should be and need to be fixed. You're not the guy. You don't understand why other Christians can't see what's happening. You're not the guy neither are they. You're mad because the nation is divided and it needs unity. You're not the guy. And neither is any politician. You're worried that things will never be the same and your kids will grow up in a worse place than you did. You're not the guy. And neither is any citizen of this country. You're excited at the thought that things are going to change because someone else is going to be in office. He's not the guy. You're worried and can't figure out how to fix things that you see around you. You aren't the guy. You are the messenger mirroring the mission of your master. The best you can ever be is someone who points to the guy. The blind will see, the lame will walk, The dead will rise. The sick will be healed. The insecure will rest easy. The fearful will soar with bravery. The mighty will be made low. The lowly will be lifted up. And true equality will come. Racism, sexism, wokeism will all be gone. True intimacy, true love, true forgiveness. No grudges, deep purpose, safety, fun, passion. Whatever good thing you would love to see happen, make sure that he's the guy. Because things that happen underneath that, praise God. But where you look for your hope will determine where you're headed. And either you will go closer and closer to the guy, or you will try to make someone the guy who's not the guy. And it's easy, it's easy. There's a great temptation right now to be freaked out and uneasy because of what is happening in our part of the world. Rest. Rest, believer. Rest. Rest. None of this is out of his mighty hands. His preeminence has not been set aside. The one whom you trust is still on the throne. No matter what you feel, no matter what happens in the United States of America, no matter what happens in the world, Jesus is still king, and you are still a citizen of heaven. And you know what? He is still with us, and he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. I want to read this passage in conclusion today, uh, mostly as kind of an example of who Jesus is, and a reminder, again, of who sits on the throne, who is preeminent in the world. It's Philippians 2, it's 5 through 11. It says, Name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You, God, reign, and your reign is set. There is nothing and no one who can circumvent that reign. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would fully recognize you as the guy, that we would look to Jesus, that we would take our minds off of the humanity that is so ever-present, even if it's just for a moment, even if it's just to ask you what to do, Lord, in this time, what is our response? What should our heart be? We recognize that when Jesus is the guy for us, we can finally fulfill the mission you sent us here for or left us here for, Lord. We pray. We pray that Jesus and his name would go farther and farther and farther and deeper in our society, in our place, in our city. God, we pray that you would set your, the spirit literally into the streets, blowing through, doing something new here. Lord, we pray that your goodness and your kindness would lead people towards repentance right now. That your evenness, that your infiniteness, that your unchanging would lead people to see that there is hope in you. Jesus, we ask collectively for that power, for that renewal to set in place in us a new desire to speak your name into darkness. And we proclaim together, Lord, That it is about Jesus, 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 Jesus. And we want to see his name exalted here. Praise you. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God.